what I'm not going to do is not learn and not, not get healthy and not mature and not grow. Um, I've, that has been my whole life in the last half a decade. And it's what the entire fingers crossed album is about. It's about what do I own? What did I learn? And where am I going? This is The Gently Mad, a show where I talk to and pick the brains of the smartest people running creative online businesses. Actually, not so much. If you're looking for that inspirational kick in the pants to help take your life and career to the next level, then this is probably not the place for you. To be perfectly honest, this podcast is about me. Hey, I'm Adam Clark and I'm your host. Thanks for listening. I do talk to people on this show, but instead of that double rainbow of success BS that you'll get in most entrepreneurial shows, we talk about failure, self-doubt, and all the insecurities that we all have that keep us from doing much of anything with our lives. If that sounds like your kind of thing, then head over to avclark.com slash TGM and subscribe. Any actionable advice or helpful tips are simply a byproduct and purely unintentional. How's it going, guys? This is Adam Clark. This is The Gently Mad. Well, actually, I am Adam Clark, and this is The Gently Mad, my podcast. Thanks for listening to it. I'm already off to a bad start. You know, I just recorded an intro for this show, and I got all the way to the end and realized that I had the wrong mic turned on. I mean, come on. I mean, how many hours have I spent doing this? And I didn't check that I was on the right mi- right microphone. So the whole thing was wasted. It was a waste. Ugh, there's nothing I hate worse than wasting a good, like, improvised intro. Because I'm so bad at that. Like, rarely do I get to the end and I'm like, that was good. That was good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of how that came out. This one was one of those, and it shall never be heard, basically. Because, <laughs> uh, anyway... I don't even know where I was going with that. Um, or I don't even know where to proceed from that. It's been it's been a pretty crazy couple of weeks. Well, I always say it's been a crazy couple of weeks. I mean, if you go back and listen to episodes, it always starts with me going, oh, it's been a crazy week, guys. But it is. I mean, come on. It's 2017. I mean, the whole world, it's it's all fucking crazy. I mean, seriously. I, I, don't, I don't know... Every day, it's just like waking up and wondering what kind of shit's going to happen today that makes me wonder what freaking planet I'm living on. Uh, it's just, it's it's insanity, and I'm so tired of it. Like, I just, I just don't even, I, I can't even, can I say that? I can't even, I don't know if that's still a cool phrase, but um, but that's how I feel. I can't even with the world these days. I've got Derek Webb on the show today, and... Uh, I don't know. I don't know how many of you will know who Derek is. I, I'm not sure what part of my audience is familiar with, like my past. I I grew up in a very conservative Christian household, and that was my experience through school and through college. And I was even a, a worship pastor in a different life, and a lot of that stuff I still hang on to, and some of it I don't. And there's a lot more I don't knows these days. You know, 20 years ago, I was pretty confident that I was right about everything. And now there's just a lot of, uh, I don't know. I don't know anymore about a lot of things. And, and, and Derek is, uh, Derek is, is part of that. I mean, he's, he's been a musician for geez, 20, 25 years now. 
and uh, he was in a band called Cadman's Call, and uh, he's been solo now for um, almost 20 years, uh, at least 15, and it's his his music has been with me in my life through through many stages and uh, stages of just the different stages of life. And he always seems he always seems to come out with an album right when I'm at a point where I need something, and then he's there. and And I love him, and I love his music. And he just had a, he just released a new album called Fingers Crossed, and it is definitely the most intensely personal album he's ever released. And it deals with a lot of what he's gone through in the last couple of years. A lot of the, just the world turning upside down on him. Um, a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff about uncertainty and doubt and faith and just all of that mixed together. And, and so I think even for those of you who aren't in the Jesus camp and uh, have that background, I think this will still be an interesting listen for you guys. Because it's still applicable. Uh, so much of our conversation was just life stuff. I mean, it, it doesn't. It, it's not just related to religion or something like that. It, it's uh, it's life, especially as I just got done saying, in the insanity we're living in right now, uh, at least in America. Um, a lot of the stuff applies, and so I think I think you're gonna like it, and we're gonna get to that in just a minute. But one thing I, I did want to talk about briefly is uh related to you guys and all the all your various entrepreneurial pursuits um i'll be honest with you uh one reason that i stopped this podcast or it's been so long since i um had been have been releasing regular episodes is that i felt a tremendous amount of guilt and shame over quitting the show about two and a half years ago and that may seem strange to some of you, others of you who are in this like self-employed entrepreneurial space and listen to a lot of these kinds of podcasts will understand what I'm talking about. But, you know, the worst thing you can do is quit, or at least that's what you're told. The worst thing you can do is quit. And I, uh, I've always quit. I've never been able to ma- just constantly maintain week after week releasing episodes, you know, um, Right now, we're on about the four billionth iteration of this podcast, but the first iteration went for about 30, 40 episodes, and then I quit for about a year, and then the second iteration, the one most of you are probably familiar with, uh, started back at the beginning of 2015. That went for about 60 episodes or so, and then I quit again, and now I'm doing it again, and I've always just felt... uh, a lot of shame around the fact that I quit and I, I haven't been able to maintain it. And I heard Derek talking in a, in a conversation, he was talking about how each one of his albums is his first and last album. Meaning when he's finished with it, it's, it feels like he will never release another album. Like he said everything he has to say and he's just done. And it takes months, years, however long before that urge comes back to, to say something again. And that really helped me kind of reframe how I've thought about this podcast because uh, at least it helped take away some of that guilt over quitting because, you know, I would reach a point and I just felt like I'd said what I needed to say. You know, I'd had the conversations I wanted to have and I was done. I didn't have anything left and I didn't want to just keep producing episodes and phone it in and uh, just just to keep the machine rolling. Uh, so I stopped. 
And then after a certain amount of time goes by, I, I wake up one day and I feel like I've got something else to say again. I, I, there's conversations I want to have again. And and it's just made me feel like that's okay. You know, it doesn't take away quite all the guilt of quitting, but it, it makes me feel like maybe uh, quitting, there's nothing wrong with quitting. It's okay to do that. Sometimes you have to do that. In fact, if you are really concerned about the quality of the art that you're putting out there, uh, you can't just maintain this sort of Gary V, you know, hustle nonstop, whatever. I mean, I get that. I get what he's doing, but I kind of feel like a lot of that is bullshit personally. You know, um, you can't hustle all the time. You can't be maxed out all the time. You know, sometimes you do have to quit and you have to take breaks and you have to, you have to get re-energized. And sometimes you just reach the end of something, you know, you, you've taken it as far as it can go and you don't have anything else to do with it. It's just, it's done and that's okay. You know? So I guess the point of me telling you that story was that I, I want you to feel okay if you're really stressed and you're feeling like you don't want to keep doing something but there's that pressure from other people online and in, on Twitter or wherever you are within the online business community that if you stop, you're going to be looked at as a failure. Uh, you're not a failure and it's perfectly okay to stop if that's what you need to do. And so I hope that helps you. Or I hope it means something to you. It really did help me. It helped me in, in how I think about this stuff. But anyway, uh, as I said, Derek Webb, uh, we're about to get into this and it, it was a really good conversation. Uh, we talked for hours and I, I managed to edit it down to under two hours. So I hope you're able to get through it because I think it's worth it. It's, uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. It helped me think about a lot of things differently than I had thought about them before. And if you're a fan of music in general, I think you're gonna, you're gonna dig this. So the album again is Fingers Crossed by Derek Webb and you can find it Pretty much anywhere there is music. Regardless, here is my conversation with Derek Webb. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll be back at the end to wrap things up. I want to talk about this record. Sure. I want to ask you, when did you, because uh, obviously it just came out, but obviously you probably wrote it. I don't, well, I don't know how fast your turnaround is these days, but I was curious, when did you start writing this? I mean, I started writing the record, I probably went, let's see, the last record came out almost five years ago. It was 13, 2013, I think. Yeah, so maybe coming up on five years, yeah. four or something, four and change. So I I didn't write okay my typical rhythm is always that when I put a record out I don't write for a year right. or two I mean that's just always been my rhythm and so I didn't write for a couple years which is not unusual but the process felt different this time because I was going through I was grieving so many, the loss of so many things or through those years that I kind of, there was a, a while where I didn't know if, there were just a lot of things that I felt like I was having to let go of 
and I didn't know if they were coming back and if they did come back, what they would look like when they showed back up. Yeah. I just didn't know. And so music was for sure one of those. Um, I was, I was, I took a couple years off playing music, um, to, for a handful of reasons. One, because I just felt like the, the, um, the public nature of the job and how kind of it was just, it was complicated right then for me to, to, um, and so I, and it, but it, but it, I mean, last time we talked, you said that you were intentionally like you were, you had just become, I guess the president of noise trade or I don't know, but you, you were saying this is a a mark shift and, and stepping away from touring and recording and, and focusing on that. And then, Four years later, you got this new record. Yeah, so it was just, yeah, so at the time, that's right, because we talked around that time. So at the time, there was like just some interesting synergy around my feeling like I needed or and wanted to take a little time, a step back from yeah. music and just the general public vulnerability of spilling your guts for people. Like I kind of needed a beat to kind yeah. of figure some of that out and how I was going to do it again and what that was going to be like. And and I needed a couple of years to sort out, you know, so noise trade, which I founded in 20, in 2008, um, we, my co-founders and I knew that we were going to, that we were just ahead of what could, was potentially going to be a couple of big years, Yeah. which, and which, and they were because like th- this year, beginning of this year, we, the, we got acquired, um, and which is when I, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. We got acquired okay. by pledge music, which is a New York based music company. Um, so it, it was a lot of work getting the company ready for the acquisition and, and working through that deal. You know, I mean, it's, it's like selling, it's like selling a dozen houses, (laughs) you know, like what's selling a company. And, um, so there was a lot of attention that it needed and a lot of work and a lot of prep. And, um, so that was taking all of my time. It was worth it, but we intuited even then, even a few years ago that, that we had some important years coming up and. So, so it was just this great kind of feeling a little bit compelled towards one thing and propelled out of another, repelled even um, yeah. out of another. And so, yeah, so I spent those years and then basically was just really being re- patient yeah. with my process and just not stressing about, because first of all, it always takes time. Like I, like I was saying a second ago, like I'll always go a couple of years and not write. And so I didn't want to, I've just learned to not be stressed about that. Yeah. But, but I've never done, I've never done it, um, during a season when I wasn't working on music. So like I wasn't doing anything else really music related. I wasn't, so it felt weird. It felt like a total detachment. It felt like I wasn't. Um, and so it took some time and then I, I, there's, I mean, I'm, there's just so much I could say about those years and so, and so I don't want to like get, I don't want to light the fuse on a long rabbit trail. Cause there's a lot of things I can say that I feel like I've figured out about what was going on during those years yeah. in my head and stuff. But the point is eventually the songs did start to show up Yeah, and I, I probably started writing maybe two or three years ago. I probably started writing a little bit, but it, it wasn't much and it wasn't, I for sure wasn't thinking about a new record for a while. I, I wasn't, yeah. no expectations about that. And then and I only had my extremely part time to put into it, so right. I barely had. I mean, it was like after one a.m., you know, during the weeknights. I mean, I, I just I barely had any time to 
kind of carve out to work on songwriting or anything else. Yeah. So it's like, what's crazy about the way the record feels to me is it feels like it took forever for a long time because I was not spending any concentrated time on it. I was, I was putting such random little snippets of time into it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, maybe about a year ago, it started to ramp up. Yeah. As, as I started devoting, decided, okay, I, I want to devote some real time to this and I want to get this done. Like I started to feel this energy, this urgency that I needed to work on it and I really wanted it to be done. And I, and I was, I couldn't, um, I couldn't, the grief of the content was too much for me to bear alone. And I wanted others to bear it with me. (laughs) Like I needed like to get it external of myself and started to fantasize about it being external of me. And so I started working on it and started to ramp up and ramp up. And then it just was like a hockey stick because yeah. then in the last like few months, literally, cause I mean, it came out about a month ago, but right. in the last few months or three months, you know, it absolutely all of a sudden just really took off in terms of all the sudden songs were just getting finished. Like I was finishing one a day, you know, they were just getting done mm. and I had been kind of chipping away at the recording, but I started de- really devoting a lot more time to that. And it just, every minute I gave to it, I was getting so much back. So yeah. it's like it really just started happening. And then it was really, really close to done. And I was just killing myself to get it done. Cause I mean, I, I juggle a lot of things in my schedule, but I was just not sleeping. I was just killing myself to get it done. Yeah. And, and then as soon as I got it done, I just killed myself to get it out as quick as possible. Yeah. And I released it way quicker than I thought I was going to. And I thought it would come out next year. I thought I would, I had plans and what wound up happening is not exactly what I had intended. But right. It was, but it, what it was is me just following the coordinates and the energy of the songs and of the record. And it just, it wanted to come out fast. Like this baby yeah. wanted to get born. Yeah. So it anyway. feels like that kind of record. I, I mean, so it's um, weird because it's like so much of it feels really fresh to me. Like some of the songs I'm barely even familiar with cause I wrote them and then recorded and then released yeah. them so quickly. Some of the songs are more than two years old. Yeah. So it, it feels weird to me. Well, I wanted to ask you, like, uh, because you said, like, well, and your and your this, this album is so well. I'll just tell you my experience. Sure. Okay, so I listened to the album, and um, I was really depressed for several days. Like, that's what it brought out of me, and it, not because I disagree with you, but because, I mean, anyone who's gonna say that they don't, they haven't at least felt at some point what you're saying I think is lying. So we've all felt those things. And then to, then to feel like, Oh, he just, he just went all the way with it. And I'm still trying to figure out if I'm going to go all the way with it or not. And it was just like, it really felt like, uh, it was so sad. It was just sad and it was depressing. And I was sad as shit record. dude. Yeah, it it was. And, and so what I was curious is like, you know, uh, you, you wrote it obviously, before it didn't you didn't just write this and release it in a week so you've right. been dealing with these feelings for a long took time took a long time to figure out how to say all that yeah so <laughs> like right now do you still feel the um that sadness you know um yeah that other people who are listening to it for the first time yeah. are feeling i don't feel it as it's not as potent or concentrated as it was yeah um because this is the document of all those emotions yeah but the actual real time feeling of those emotions is kind of in my rear view at this point. Right. 
and I actually feel really happy. Like I, I I'm happier than I have been in a long time. Yeah. I, I, I'm, um, but I, when I go back and listen to it, which I actually really haven't barely done, I, I haven't spent any real time with the record yet. And I finished it, assembled it, released it, like mastered it, released it so quick. I haven't really spent very much time with the record in sequence and assembled and put together with all the, the transitions and everything, the way that I had imagined it. Once it was done, I literally mastered it. I got the final master back on a Wednesday and I released it on a Friday. So I haven't really even spent, I probably have only listened straight through it finished maybe once. I mean, like I haven't really spent as a whole piece. I haven't, but when I, the, the, the little bit that I have listened to it, I feel like I'm experiencing it like everyone else now. Mm. Like it, like I feel about it the way I feel the same kind of sadness. I feel when I, when you go back and you look at pictures from a really different season of life yeah, yeah. and you're, you're nostalgic and you're sad and you're, you know, I, I look at it like, like a photo album, um, but not like a, uh, like a real time feed, you know, it's, um, yeah, you know, I'm an artist, not a journalist. Yeah. So, um, you know, even the documenting of it was trying to be emotionally safe, knowing it was going to be for public consumption. But this is the riskiest piece of art I've ever made. Oh yeah. By a long shot. Oh yeah. I have no detachment from it. I'm really, I'm really not safe from it. Yeah. Um, in the way that I feel like I've managed to be about everything else. Yeah. But um. So, well, I, I feel like, I don't know. Um, I mean, clearly I would say given your career is, is risky, but I'm curious because there's this is a different uh, kind of risky for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, like most of what I made hasn't been personally risky. It's been publicly risky. I think, okay. So a lot of people who, um, like I, I after this album came out, I Googled Derek Webb. I was assuming that there would be like some interviews, conversations or whatever. And right. there wasn't anything out there. Nothing. Um, and so, I mean, we have mutual friends. I follow you on Instagram. So, I mean, people who maybe follow you more closely probably weren't surprised by this album. But I would guess that's probably a small person. I, I'm curious. Like, Oh, it's it's got to be less than 10% of the whole. Well, I was just like, curious. Like people who response, really are paying attention. Yeah, I mean, has, has the response been overwhelmingly like, oh, shit, what just happened right. here? Or, or have most people been like, yeah, I, I saw this coming, you know? Um, it's hard to say. Like, I don't know how you gauge that. I I have well, just in the responses you yeah. Had what what, what I have seen and what I've managed to find and read and stuff has actually been remarkably sho- shockingly positive and resonant and sympathetic. Yeah, empathetic even. I I I really it was very unexpected. I I I for sure thought. I mean, in my records in the past have been risking a different way, like we were saying, but, um, and, and I usually can predict the, um, the response. Right. And I can predict exactly w- what's going to come from where and who's going to be been out of shape about right. it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, ne- it's never unpredictable. Yeah. Um, and this one, I don't know. I guess I thought it would be similar to that, but because of the level of, emotional disclosure on this record and vulnerability like nothing I've ever in my whole career for 25 years have ever really risked the way that I have on this record 
I think I think that yeah, some it's it was a surprise to me, but people seem to find their way into it. And even if they you, I mean, you kind of you you said a, a minute ago that you didn't necessarily or you weren't sure if you disagreed. What's interesting about it is there there's kind of nothing on it to agree with or disagree with so much. It's just kind of my it's an emotional disclosure. And so it's like there aren't really ideas to agree with on it. Right. I mean, uh, unless you were going to disagree with how I'm perceiving my own emotional life. Right. Which you can do, but that'd be a weird thing to like how could I mean only my closest friends could be like I think you're fundamentally misunderstanding the role of this moment or situation in your life. Yeah. No one who I'm reading if I see like comments on Facebook and stuff like those people are in no position to inform me about things like yeah. that. So it's like, I think that's what's different about it is like my past records because they were about ideas and not emotions Yeah, on the whole. Cause that's how I think. Um, usually more about questions than answers. I'm, I'm, I'm always, yeah. I've always been more of a question guy than an answer guy, but, um, but I've been usually more of an idea that guy than an emotion guy. And this is the the vast disruption to that, the yeah. the dramatic disruption. And so it's weird, like people on the whole, like you said, like even if they for sure are not where I am or they perceive me to be, yeah, which is a tricky thing because I don't even really know where I am. Yeah. Uh, so it's hard to say like where anyone else is in relation to me because I don't know where I am either. But um, And maybe people who are listening to the record have a much better sense of where I am than I do, um, which is which the lyrics on the record even speak to. Um, but so it's, it, so yeah, it's interesting. Like, um, yeah, I, so I don't know. I, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I'm just like, yeah, I mean, I know what you're saying. I guess what I'm saying is this album has a, um, I was surprised is the point. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel I almost in my I, and maybe I don't know if we've talked about talked about this before, but I know I've said it before that when I put records out, if the response is too positive, s- sometimes I'll get nervous that maybe <laughs> I didn't do my job. Right, right. I know because I yeah. really do consider part of my job because of how I know that I think in general. Like I'm 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 a I'm um, like I. I I like or am good at agitating people. Yeah. But mostly myself. Like yeah. I mostly am go- I'm good at and have a habit of agitating my own thoughts on things. Like right. I like just I'm just like agitating. Mostly myself. I'm always in my own crosshairs. So if I'm agitating you as well, that just that just that's collateral damage. Yeah. I mean like it's me that I'm after. Well like we talked before and you you had talked about how, you know, previous albums, you know, you definitely tried to not necessarily uh, push people away, but there was definitely an element of, of trying to challenge people. And where this one feels different is it doesn't feel like you're trying to challenge challenge anything or say anything. You're just saying, this is what it is, right. you know? And so it has a totally... This is who I am, this is how I feel. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's it a typical thing, that's right. But it's got a finality to it that, like... For example, I Was Wrong had... I listened to that one again after listening to Fingers Crossed, and um, I was... And honestly, I really feel like those two albums go really well together. It it almost feels like... (laughs) It feels to me like one just leads right into the next, because for me, I Was Wrong was filled with this sort of sad 
hopefulness, if you will. Like, it felt sad. It mm-hmm. felt like you were questioning. It felt like, I don't know what the fuck is going on, yeah. but I hope it's true, you know? And, and then you get into this album. is all that without the hope. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> then you get to fingers crossed. <laughs> you get to fingers crossed, and it's like, um, turns out it wasn't true, yeah. you know? And, and this is, and so it's, there's this, it's kind of like this finality to it. And it's that's, like. That's fascinating perspective. I don't know, but, because I haven't listened to that record in a long time. I have weird feelings about I was wrong. I have super weird feelings about it. I can explain to you why, but that record doesn't feel like a manipulation, but it feels like a re- it feels like a record that was designed to accomplish something. And I don't normally make records that way. Like, yeah. like I was wrong. I, 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 I was wrong. Feels like the most and least ironic record of my catalog to me. Um, which I know is a weird fucking cryptic thing. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to be cryptic, but, um, but it, it, I know what you mean, though. It feels... It, it kind of came out of nowhere, it feels like. Yeah. I mean, it, it was not the trajectory that I was on yeah. at all. Yeah. And it feels... I mean, in, like... Yeah. So, I have weird... I have complicated feelings about it. I'm, I'm, I don't think that there aren't some decent tunes on that record. I don't think that there aren't some honest moments on that record. I think there are. Um, I think for the moment I was in and what I was aiming to do, I think I did an okay job. But... I definitely think there are signposts on it that maybe only Easter eggs that are just there for me that for sure um, were indicators of things. Yeah. I mean, the crazy thing about that record, and I think I have said this somewhere at one point, but like that record is eerily prophetic for me. Yeah. Like I wrote (laughs) that record having no idea what was going to happen next. Literally. I mean, absolutely no preparation, no clue as to what was about to happen. Mm. And that said, there is some just eerily predictive and prophetic. I mean, I use that word very carefully. Yeah. Like, like, like almost future telling weirdness on that record. Yeah. And it, and it, and it, it's weird. I mean, it goes into the question mark box for sure. For me, I don't, I don't know what to do with it, but, and on the whole, I just feel weird. I feel complicated. It's a complicated record. Well, I I just was really, I don't know. Like I said, when I went back to listen to it, um, it, it's almost like, uh, like the movie Memento, you know, if if you watch Memento and you get to the end and then you watch it again, you're like, Oh yeah, this is cool. I can see how everything fits together. And if you listen to Fingers Crossed and then you go back and listen to I Was Wrong, yeah. it's almost the same way where it's like, oh, this is very, it's it's just, it's it's pointing right at Fingers Crossed. Huh. To me, it feels that way. Like songs wow. like Heavy and some of those other tracks where you're just like, yeah. but the difference is I feel like, and I think the reason maybe like there wasn't any sort of uproar or whatever is, you know, that album still ended, uh, like I said, on a hopeful note, like on a, you know... I have no idea what's going on, but what's fascinating you know. about that record is, yeah, the last song on it. It had been it had been some years since I'd recorded any hymns. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but but it ends with one. Yeah, that will be done, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is fascinating. That being the last, what is it? Invitation. It's like basically saying, I've got my plans. I've got here's yeah. what's here's what makes sense to me. Here's what I. But at the end of the day, 
you know, thy will be done or whatever. And, yeah. and, and, and that's not a, that's not a, um, by any means a placing of blame, nor could it be, but, um, which is its own subject. Um, that statement is, is a, another podcast worth of conversation, but, yeah. um, but it's fascinating, you know, it's, it's a, it ends with a surrender. Yeah. That record and, um, an objective surrender. And then to then observe and I'm, and which is in no way, I mean, the entire record fingers crossed the whole record is an ownership of, um, behavior and an ownership of consequences and a, and a processing of the grief of consequences. So it's not, so me saying that is in no way saying it's not, it's not a, it's not a skirting of blame by any means. Yeah. Um, I think I've done a decent job of avoiding being accused of that because I mean, that's a lot of what's hard about the new record is that, you know, it's all kind of, it's all kind of all there. And yeah, so, but it is a weird way to end that. It's weird that that would have been the last, the last kind of statement of that season of my writing and life in general. Then you go from that will be done to goodbye for now. You know, it's Uh like, (laughs) it's so, uh, I feel like they lead right into each other, but it's just like... I yeah, f- comparing I feel like, apples to apples, it's weird. Well, it just kind of... It went... Um, well, it probably went a different direction than a lot of your fans uh, thought yeah. or hoped. Well, and you know but, what? And what's interesting about it is like, goodbye for now. Like, the fact that like I was wrong ends with I will be done and goodbye for now ends with a double chorus during which I hold space for my duet partner who never shows up. I know. That just, I gotta say, I gotta interrupt you and say, like, that was, uh, I might have actually cried mm-hmm. at that point because when you said, um, and so you say, and then it was no voice, it was just like, mm-hmm. it killed me. Like, I'm getting chills right now because it was all the angst in that album, which was all about where the hell are you? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I was almost waiting to hear, I mm-hmm. was like, wouldn't it be awesome if, like, I actually heard a voice while I'm listening to this guitar part? You know, it's almost, but it was just like, an, it was, I still wait for it. I know. I mean, I hold the space every time I play it. Yeah, it was. And so far, man. So far, my duet yeah. partner has has failed to show up. But, um, and it's not a test. It's not a shaking of my fist towards the heavens. It's just, I did that for a long time, and I'm done doing that. So that's not what it is. But no, but it was a genius way to make. I don't know that you were trying to make a point, but it was a good way mm-hmm. to uh, sort of encapsulate mm-hmm. all the things you've been talking about this whole record. And um, and then the whole thing ends on a five seven chord. I know, there, like, and there's like, no resolution like the, too. The most unresolved chord, exactly in the, in the uh, in the scale. I was like, I wonder. It's if, purposefully not resolved. I mean, that's the whole yeah, point. Like, I, I don't want to. I'm so glad that that was all intentional because I've been listening to it and I'm thinking, I'm the most hyper analytical person you've ever met. So yeah. there's not anything that's not intentional. <laughs> like, I'm looking for things, and I'm yeah. like. Um, Oh, that means something to me on this level. I wonder if that was intentional. You know, like, but again, mm-hmm. the, it not resolving the no voice on that uh, mm-hmm. that part of that chorus and all that. I was like, it seems pretty clear that what he's trying to say, but I didn't know if those things were intentional or not. So yeah. that's that is. Uh, I got to use every part of the buffalo. Uh, yeah. in my work, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I like I, I got to leave every. Yeah, I mean, I got to take every everything I can use to communicate it. I got to I have to use it all. Yeah, you know, so so. Did you, well, well, first, which song did you write first? Um, of all those songs, um, the, 
couple that were written first were um and and around the same time were um I will and um I'm redeeming this guitar. Mm-hmm. Those two were written super early. And were initially written um I, I they were later rewritten. Um they were okay. they, they they were initially written for one reason and then radically rewritten for another almost as a way um, like a like a a meta pursuit to redeem them both yeah um like i they i feel like those two songs were written in one reality and i needed to bring them into ultimate reality mm. which 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 uh they needed they needed a a rewriting um, but the songs themselves seemed to tap into something for me personally, emotionally yeah. that I wanted to bring with me. I want, I did, I didn't want to leave in a season. Um, I didn't want to like lock in that room. I wanted to bring with me and, but the only way I could do that and make them and justify them and redeem them, as I said, which is a tricky word, um, was to rewrite them and uh, which I did and uh, but they were written long before all the rest. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Which which one was the last one you wrote? The last one that got finished, oh man, might have been "Stop Listening" because what happened was I so because of my personality and the way that I make records, I had the sequence. Like I literally like when I was two or three songs short of the record still. The songs I did have, I had in a sequence with spaces, yeah. with question marks between. The, the record has, I felt like before I even started writing it, existed in the sequence that it's in right now. Yeah, like some records you can you can resequence and you can, and that's kind of part of the record making process is you'll write all your songs and then you kind of try and you and and that's typically a thing I've even had friends help me with is like I'll yeah. send them all the songs and like have everybody put them in a different sequence and send it to me. Like what, what's the, what's the best coolest sequence for these songs. And like, now that I have these two or three or four minute bits, how can I make them into a 40 minute to an hour long bit in the coolest or most interesting? How can I curate them into what narrative? Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so it's a thing you can tinker with. This record was, was absolutely not like that. This record had a narrative. So it's like, the songs as they came, like when I wrote goodbye for now, which actually got written kind of in the middle somewhere. Yeah. I knew that was the, the closer. Right. And then when I wrote, um, when I wrote chasing empty mangers, which I wrote almost two years ago, I wrote it on, I wrote it on Christmas. No, no, no. It's almost a year old. I wrote it on Christmas Eve last year, Christmas, Christmas Eve, 2016. Okay. And, and then sometime this year, um, I wrote um, Easter eggs, uh, maybe just around Easter this year. I started it a year ago and finished it this year. And so it's like, mm. but I knew those two were going to go in sequence. I knew the Christmas song right into the Easter song were going to go together, probably in the middle of the record. So I kind of had those in there. Yeah. So it's like, the, it's like when you have a thousand piece puzzle and you do the edges and then you do the, yeah. I kind of had some pieces in place, but a lot of gaps. Yeah. And I knew up. I knew that um, I didn't have an opener. I, I I know when I've I know when I've got my closer, and I know I've got my opener. I knew I didn't have anything to open this album, 
And so I had a big question mark at the top of the album. And I was like, I know I need an opener. I started toying around. I was actually my pal, Aaron Tate, who I, who I never co-wrote with, but, but partnered with the writing of all of the Cadman's Call material with. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's a buddy. I mean, Aaron is the reason I wound up in Cadman's Call. I mean, we went yeah. to high school together. He introduced me to those guys. I've known him for, oh my God, you know, 30 years or something. Yeah. Um, he was a year or two older than me in high school, but we were friends since then. And I was hanging out with Aaron. I mean, every time I go to Texas, every time I go to Houston, I hang out with Aaron and, and he's yeah. come to Nashville a handful of times and we've hung out and we, we hang out. He's, he's been a pal of mine for so many years. And I was, I was sharing some early stuff with him and we were talking about it and we, and he was, I think I probably got the idea from Aaron because he was talking about a song and I, a song idea that he had that was something like, it wasn't that, but it was something like that. It was like a song warning people about, about, it was something like, I think I, I might have even gotten the phrase like stop listening. I probably yeah. got that from Aaron, you know? And, um, and I think we might've even had plans to write that song together. Oh really? Cause he's been writing, he's been in a season of writing, which I'm, you know, extremely interested in because I'm such a fan of his as a writer. And he's, yeah. he's always been a, such a mentor to me and a, and a, and a friend of mine. He's one of those people in my story without whom I don't know where my life would be because without Aaron, there would be no Cademan's call because yeah. Aaron wrote all of Cademan's early material inspired the starting of the band, pulled me into the band, you know? So it's like, I don't yeah. know what, what my life would be without a guy like Aaron. Yeah. He's one of the most important people, you know, I've got a dozen or so of those people over 40 some odd years. And, um, but so, and I thought that was got, as I thought about conversations he and I had had about that idea, I was like, that'd be a pretty fascinating way to start the record. And, you know, it's like kind of a warning and almost like a mock dialogue between me and the people who are about to hear this record. Right. Um, so I think that might've been one of the last songs I wrote, but as I'm thinking about it, I even think the second song, the devil, you know, mm-hmm. might've been the last one. Hmm. It's so funny. I mean, I, I yeah. you know, you're gonna have to hear this, listen to this whole thing to get the whole story because, but, um, <laughs> devil, you know, might've been the last song because I realized I didn't want to go. I knew that spirit bears, the curse needed to be one of the first few songs in the record. Yeah. But I didn't want to, I, but it, it, but I knew Spirit Bears the Curse was not a song too. Yeah. It was not, because there's a real strategy for how you sequence a record. Mm-hmm. And I'm very old school about this, but yeah. you, th- there's like kind of certain lo- right and left punches that you go through right. when you sequence a record. I knew I didn't have an opener. I knew that Spirit Bears the Curse was going to be in the first act, let's say, but I knew it wasn't a second song. Right. But I thought it'd be a great third song. It's like, well, crap, now I don't have a second song. <laughs> And, and, um, and I, and, and the whole first part of the record, I had a real sense for like the, the sequence in terms of the feel and in terms of like, there were no, I needed more uptempo songs because right. the whole record is so mid tempo and slow yeah. and, and sad. I needed some more uptempo stuff. And so you need some highlights to pull people along. Right. And, and I was in LA hanging out with a super good pal of mine and he was telling me about and he's like a music genius and he was telling me about a friend of his who he I don't remember if it was him I think it was him he told a buddy of his he they were talking about a song that another friend of his was needing to write for like a soundtrack or something yeah and my and my my pal told him um my pal Alan he he told that friend of his that he ought to write a song based around 
um, the Hollow Notes song "Man Eater" because mm-hmm. it's got this great swing beat. It's the most the best beat ever, and no <laughs> one really uses it anymore. Yeah. It's like there's so few songs written with that backbeat. Yeah. And my pal Alan was telling me about. He was like, and I, you know, so I recommended about this ba- about the about Man Eater, and he played me the tune that the guy had written. I was like, oh my god, it's the coolest beat. Like, I got to write some with that beat. That's yeah. such a, you know you can't you know. Uh, the truth is public domain, as they say, and I was like, "All right, that's a good, that's a great beat." I don't even know if I've, I've to, if I've told Alan this, but and so I went home. I came home from that that trip out to the West Coast with that idea in my head of like, "Oh, man eater, dude, what a classic, what a great beat." Yeah. I should, I and, and it's like an infectious like. I I managed to make it sound mid tempo, mm-hmm. but it's a super up tempo beat. It's like yeah. a really really good beat. And I was like, I need a second song with with the man eater beat on it. So I went and like studied the Maneater beat a little bit, made my own little version of it, and which I don't introduce to the chorus, so it kind of sneaks up on you. But um, and that whole swing, and I was like, all right. So I found that, and that's what gave me my second song. Okay. So I think Devil, you know, I'm pretty sure that's pr- that's got to be the most recent tune I wrote. And uh, Devil, you know, that's isn't that the one that starts out with that bass? It's just like the this weird. That's right. This weird bass, warbling kind of bass sound. Yeah, it is this like up and down octave weirdness. That was great because I started listening to that and I was like, "What is this song going to be?" And then once the rest of the instruments came in, I was like, "Yeah, actually fits pretty well." And it hyper simplifies when you once you get to the chorus, it all cleans up. Yeah, but yeah, it's like. And the other thing about me is like when I'm making records like i want to take my first two or three songs and give people kind of show people my deck in terms of here's what you can expect sonically on this thing right so i want to put a lot of weird elements into the first two or three songs but usually on my records the first handful of songs are going to be pretty experimental to give you a sense of like everything all the sonic elements on the record you're going to hear in the first two or three songs yeah and all of the conceptual elements you're going to hear in the first two or three songs. It, like the first act of any one of my records is like kind of the introduction and the, the, the key to the map. And once you have that, then the rest of the record should kind of make sense. There shouldn't be a ton of surprises. Yeah. But I, I like to kind of warm people up with those first handful of songs. Yeah. And both in terms of like the sonic bits and the lyrical and the conceptual bits. Um, so I needed one more song to do that. Um, yeah you know, at the top of the record, which, um, because by the time you get through, let's see, I think after, and then this record has a couple of little connective mm-hmm. bits to it, which are going to be pieces like, um, Tempest in a Teacup and yeah. mm-hmm. Dodged a Bullet, like little short things, little short songs that aren't full songs. Right. Um, there's a few of those in there. So by the time you get through the first act of the record, which I'm going to say is like, up through it's where the vinyl breaks like because the vinyl is a four side because right. it's a, such a long record i had to do two two vinyl um it's a it's mm-hmm. a four side and i think i break it up right at the end of love's not a choice i think that's kind of the end of side a and there's and it goes to a d side yeah but um that feels like by the time by the time you get through love's not a choice n- there shouldn't be any more surprises on the record yeah <laughs> like right. sonically conceptually lyrically yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, um, and I work pretty hard at that, yeah. you know. Yeah, it and and now that you said that, I when I'm thinking back over your albums, um, it does seem like yeah, those first couple of songs are always the most uh, different, you know, uh, or at least set the stage. I'm kind for of the rest laying of the palette out in front yeah. of you, 
conceptually, lyrically, sonically. And, and if you can get through, because I, I expect that people are going to give a record, you know, they, even if they're suspicious or not sure they like it, maybe I can get them to listen. If I've done my job well and they're interesting enough, I can get people, if they're good left-right punches, I can I can keep you hooked in for at least three or four songs. Right. By the end of three or four songs, I hope I've persuaded you to listen to the rest and put everything in front of you to where I'm not, if, you, if you've made it through the first three or four songs, you won't turn it off after those. Right. Now, if you don't make it through an EP's worth, if you don't make it through the first 20 minutes, then the record's not for you. But if you do make it through the first 20 minutes, I'm not going to hit, I'm not going to hit you real hard again. I'm going to hit you pretty hard in the first act. Yeah. And then it's, and then we're going to, and then we're going to plateau and we're, and you're going to, and I think you'll make it through the rest. That's typically how I structure my records. Yeah. Although I would say that goodbye for now is a pretty, um, devastating song. And I just don't think it's maybe, a surprise. It's no, it's not a surprise, yeah, yeah. but it's definitely, um, I, I don't know. It's probably the most devastating song on that album Maybe. to me. I, I don't know. I, don't, I guess it just depends what you're bringing to it, honestly. But um, that's true too, man. It's like I, I, I didn't, you know, you know, I'm a narcissist, so, so of course I'm self-referential. But it's like I think I posted even recently, only because it's an idea I was kicking around in my head. But something about how I'm not sure, I'm not convinced anymore that there's like objective criticism. Yeah but only um, unintentional confession. Yeah. And what I mean by that is everything's a Rorschach. Everything. Like yeah. maybe everything. <laughs> like literally <laughs> maybe everything is a Rorschach. Yeah. Everything is an inkblot. And people are more unintentionally confessional, um, accidentally vulnerable, like than they think they are. Right. Based on their response, based on their praise, based on their outrage, based on their criticism. Yeah. Like you can learn more from somebody than they're ever willing to reveal to you by their outrage than you can learn from anything else. Yeah. Like people don't, people don't realize how much is revealed in their outrage, what they choose to be or, or unintentionally outraged over says so much about a person. Yeah. And so when you're the, source or subject of their outrage you have like a one you are a one-man audience to the vulnerability of so many people and people don't even realize it um which is which is a tricky thing and it's but it's been a fascinating thing for me yeah um like when you're on the other side of a two-way mirror um and and so it's interesting to me and this record has been especially interesting to me because i don't know that there is any such thing as objective criticism i think yeah or maybe even objective reality i think there's only unintentional confession yeah and so it's been fascinating to see this really diverse set of responses and if i if i just have a minute especially in an extreme response on either end an extreme emotional response sad or an extreme angry outrageous you know outraged response if i with one click I can find out everything I need to know to make that response make perfect sense and to, and to and to probably have a pretty good read on exactly what they what they saw when they looked at it. Yeah. But it's probably not anything objective about the art itself. Yeah. It has a lot more to do with that person, the grit through which they're looking at it, what it triggers for them, what they see. And that's also not me saying 
um, that they're wrong or anything yeah. or don't have anything super valuable to say people probably the response to a record like fingers crossed is the, the, the truth. And I'm using my finger quotes right now Yeah, to about a record like this for sure. Doesn't live inside of me. Yeah. I don't, I, I am in the least position to tell anyone what this record is or what it's about or what it means. But if, but I think there, there is a fascinating, if you squint your eyes at the response, I think you'll get a sense. But, um, well, the problem is, is that most, I think the fan base, and, and we talked last time about how your fan base is kind of with each record shrunk and shrunk, you know, more and it churns. people. It's yeah. just, I mean, I think it's a good way to think about it. It's like, it's always yeah. changing and churning. Yeah. It's but if you think about even like, um, your first, you know, your first album, She Must and Shall Go Free. I mean, um, I feel like you probably have a lot of fans who are all about capital T objective truth, sure. you know, and then they come who, to, who doesn't want that? Everybody wants, that. right. I know, but you know, I get the you're instinct kind of, of wanting that, the capital yeah. T objective truth. Right. Yeah. And so, um, I can imagine that frustrates, um, some people they listen and they're, and they're, you know, there's your admission that like that, maybe that doesn't even exist. And, um, and then they get upset about that. Uh, sure. But I think too that yeah, people just which I understand also. I understand yeah. why that's upsetting. Yeah, it is upsetting. Yeah, I'm upset at the idea that there might not be capital T objective truth. Yeah, that's super fucking upsetting for <laughs> me because like yeah. my life, my the grid through which I looked at the world and my reality and my what my identity was anchored and rooted in for twenty plus years, the idea of capital T objective truth was was paramount to that. Yeah. So if there isn't that you know, that's upsetting. And, and, and if there is, that's huge news. And if there's not, that's huge news. Either way, it's worth finding out. Right. Which is the only thing I'm about at this point. I just want to know. Well, see, and that's, that's why I think the record was so sad for me. It's not because, oh, I imagine some people listened to it and were sad because they're like, oh man, Derek is, Mm. you know, has left the station or whatever, you know. Um, but for me it was sad because it's like, it's just like, um, i I have felt everything that you're talking about on this album and there's a part of me that is has not let myself um just go all the way with it sure you know there's a part that's still yes. hanging on to and that's good you know hanging on to that's fine that's where you should this be. is you know what, what it is yeah right. you know and it's like and and so yeah in that way it was it was like a Rorschach. it was like I'm it was just voicing. I hope that's what it is. Yeah. Well, it was voicing all the things that I have felt for a very long time, but I don't know. Taken to their inevitable conclusions. Maybe. Exactly. Exactly. Just take, and that's where you kind of places like, where you have not gone or maybe yeah. been willing to go or, or having interest in going. Yeah. Or it wouldn't be intellectually honest for you to go. And right. that's fine. And the thing is, man, like I, like, let me say this. I am perfectly, I would be perfectly satisfied. I would be very gratified actually for this, for fingers crossed to be nothing more for some people than a cautionary tale. Yeah. That would actually make me really happy. And here's why, because I don't wish what I've gone through. And when I say gone through, I don't mean to sound like it's something that was done to me. Yeah. What I have done and have caused like the choices that I have made that were based in absolute utter lies, you know, and just some really horrible shit that's happened most of which I caused and did. Yeah. Um, now I'm not the only one who did and my choices are not the only choices. And I'm, and by the end of the record, there's a reason why the title track is the second to last song on the record. And it's the only point in the record 
where I finally begin to feel like my emotional rights coming back, my my right to have my own emotional boundaries again, which I didn't for a lot of years. Yeah. But I'm finally at a point where I'm willing to sing the second half of that first verse, which is just because I fucked up doesn't make me a cross on which you can hang your sin and expect to be forgiven. Right. Like, like I am not affording for you an allowance from which you can draw to sin in general and not against me and that be okay. I'm not yeah. saying that what I did was right. What I am saying is because of something I did that was not right doesn't give you the right to do things that, that are not right also and you, yeah. and that be okay. Um, you're right. Yeah. You, don't, you don't get to forever say, but I'm only acting this way because of what you did. Yeah. Like, like it's your fault that I'm being this way. Right. It's like, actually, no, that's not true. <laughs> that's not healthy. Yeah. Those aren't healthy boundaries. You don't know where you and, and I begin and that's not a healthy thing for you. And I've worked really hard to know and to yeah. learn and to, 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 uh, to see where those lines are. But it took me a long time and I placed that song second to last because that was one of the last things that I learned. And it mm. takes you a lot of years processing and burning off your own shame and your own guilt that are appropriate because they're part of the ownership of consequences and the ownership of behaviors that I that are mine yeah. and that I will own for the rest of my life and that I feel every day. Yeah. Um, it, it's one of the last things that you get back if you get back, which is my own emotional rights, that I have a right to my own emotional boundaries. It, uh, and that's there, and so there's a there's a conceptual reason why that's the second to last song on the record. I'm I, I don't get emotionally strong till the end of the record. Yeah. Mostly I'm just fucking pump you know beating the shit out of myself. Yeah. Um, which is exactly appropriate, and it's exactly what really happened. Yeah. Um, right. So, um, but that said, um, where was I going? What was the point? Um, <laughs> Well, I was, what were we even talking about? We were talking about how um, it's fine. It's totally fine um, oh, if this is a cautionary tale. tale. That's right. Because one of the last things you come around to is like, I'm okay with you. I guess what I, the reason that the, the thing that took me onto that rabbit trail was me saying to look at what happened to me yeah. or my story. And that was, that was even a consequence of all of this for me yeah. of saying, I can't even say any of that without owning my shit in it. Yeah. Like I, I'm so careful to not ever say to talk about any of this stuff in a way that sounds like my trying to skirt responsibility for any of it. Yeah. This whole record is an ownership of responsibility. I mean, it's a full confession. It's a, it's a full autopsy. Yeah. Um, and, but, but that said, I, I'm happy for people to hear it and use it for themselves as a cautionary tale to say, man, I've teased around the edges of what he's done and talked about and is admitting to and owning. Right. And I can see where that went and what that did and how devastating that was. And this is for me providing a wake up call and is, and is a stepping off the ledge for me. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many conversations I've had emails I've received Facebook messages of people saying I and and, and at one I went through one wave of it a couple years ago when I posted this blog on New Year's Day that was kind of a full confession of I want to be clear about what I did and what happened and yeah. I want that um, you know um, and I got so much response to that of people saying and I still do sometimes I'll still get a random response somebody who just read it even though it's years old, but somebody who just reads it and literally I get an email saying, I have been in an inappropriate relationship and I've been, I've been lying to my spouse and I've been, um, and 
I literally, it has built up to like literally next week I had the plan to go and consummate, you know, the, um, the affair relationship or to finally leave and finally whatever or whatever it is. And I just read this or I've just heard this record and it was, it was the last ditch disruption I didn't see coming. And I'm, I'm only telling you this, but I've chosen not to do it or I'm going to push it off a week or I'm going to, and it gives people pause. And I've wound up literally on the phone with these people. I mean, I've Mm. literally said, dude, send me, send me your phone number. Like, 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 can we, can we, can we spend an hour on the phone? Yeah. And I've had numerous of these calls only to provide what I hope to be a cautionary tale to say, dude, do not like, don't do it. Don't commit relational fucking suicide, homicide. Yeah. Because I know what you're feeling seems like the only reality. And I know it seems real and I know it seems like you have no choice and I get it. I know it. But can I tell you my story and could we spend some time? Like one of the, one of the, you, you go through things like this and again, go through, right? A cause go, you, you cause things like this (laughs) and with some distance and with some space, you start to realize that, that one of the few constructive, um, uh, uses of a season of life like this is to be a cautionary tale and to, and to hopefully minimize damage for other people who are where you may be and you can provide a metaphor for them. You can be analogous to something and they can see it just like you said, and they can see themselves somewhere on, on, uh, the spectrum, right? They see you and they see where you went, even if it's not where they've gone or where you've gone, Mm -hmm. but they see themselves on the spectrum. They see themselves on the scale somewhere. And, and it gives you a chance for them to hear it all the way out to what it's going to be and for, to, and to choose for themselves that that's not, that's not what they want for their lives. And I don't want it for them either. Well, and that's, that's why I, I've yeah. pleaded, I've pled, pled pleaded. What, what have I done? Um, I didn't, I barely got out of high school. Um, but I have, you know, I do, I, I've, I, I'll plead with people to say like, like, thank you for writing your note. Could I help put a nail in that coffin? And could we get on the phone? Could, could send me your email address. Let's talk some more. Um, that's what I hope this does. Honest to God. Um, I hope it's a cautionary tale. I don't have any problem with it being a cautionary tale. Yeah. I know that it is. So, and even if that's all that it is, I'm happy. See, I, I maybe I've, uh, again, I, I bring my own interpretation to this record, but, um, would you say you are intentionally trying to say to people, this is what happens if you go down this road, be it in a marriage relationship or a spiritual relationship, this is where you're going to end up and you don't want to end up here. Do you feel I mean, like you're trying to say that? I mean, here's what I can say. And I said it once. I'm, I'm an artist, not a journalist. So um, there, there are lines that you walk where um, you want to be able to communicate things and you know that you know are maybe a worse version of yourself than you know, that, than you know yourself to be. But you know that that extreme point is what is going to drive it home or you know you have to you have to embellish that story a little further yeah in order to really make the point um because it's like maybe maybe you're even trying on where you know you could go or the person you know that you're on the brink of being but you're not hmm. i mean i think i think you too has done it really masterfully over the years where they they kind of play it, it, their most potent work in my opinion, is where they is the point where they went into character. 
which they did right after, you know, Joshua Tree. I mean, right. And they've said this. I mean, and it's, and who was it that said some famous artist? Was it Picasso? Give a man a mask and, tell you, and he'll tell you the truth. And, um, and I know that like you two and Bono specifically like cited that reference when they basically went into character right around the Octung Baby phase and on into Zeropa and Pop. And then they kind of started to come out of that and, and, and start to peel that skin off and shed that skin and take those masks off right around All You Can't Leave Behind. And it's, it's a fascinating trajectory. Um, I think they've been much less interesting since then. Um, but um, the point being that um, is there some of that on this record? There is. Um, there's not a lot, but there is. Um, all that I can really do is tell you my story what I did, what I did not do, is like what I did on Control. Control was a completely fabricated fictional story told from the perspective of a character to make a point, to try to engage a certain set of ideas right. um, and potential conclusions. And it, and that's a cautionary tale too. That record is prophetic, is eerily prophetic for me also. Um, it, there's a strange way in which I am afraid I might have become that character. Hmm. Um, uh, and I, which, and that was all written years before and very yeah. unwittingly. Um, now it's not one to one, but it's, but it's, it's still weird yeah. for me. Um, it, it, again, objective, re, uh, criticism, objective reality versus unintentional confession. Yeah. Control falls into that category just as much as I was wrong does for me yeah. personally. Um, I didn't realize what I was, might've been confessing in those moments. Yeah. It was not my reality at the time. I can tell you that much. But the point is, I, I I couldn't have this record was so was too viscerally honest and vulnerable, and it was too much of an act of desperation for me to have used it as a tool with which to communicate something um, as fine a point as you put on it. Like to say, were you saying this is what happens and this is what could happen to you? It was me saying this is what happened and this is what happened to me. Yeah. And that's kind of as far as I can go. I mean, I you know, typically on my records, I build Trojan horses. Yeah. I put ideas in them and I push them out in front of people. This record, I'm in the horse, or I am the horse, or there is no horse. <laughs> like it, like the, yeah. this, this album is an act of desperation. Well, and so in that way, desperation I, I, for what? Like, what are you? Oh no, it was an act of desperate. It was a it was a desperate confession of re, of my of my reality. It it and so. There is no detachment, but no, no safe detachment between emotionally between me and those and and those songs. Yeah, like it was extremely real time confession. Yeah, and I've never done that before ever. Well, I just meant when you say you're fine with it being cautionary tale, and maybe you're putting on, um, mm-hmm. you're putting on a little bit of a not putting on a character, but maybe you're going a little bit further than maybe you really are or whatever. Or maybe did, yeah. Or did. But the point is, is uh, or what I was trying to say is, if you have reached a place in your life where you feel like you understand something, like maybe everything mm-hmm. that you were raised to believe isn't real anymore or whatever, uh-huh. and you believe that's the truth, why would you not want to bring people into that truth with you yeah. instead well, of just saying, hey, it's you. cool to be where you are? Because yep. no, it no, is cool I, to be I, where I, you are. No, but, I, hear, yeah. I hear a question in there. And the reason is because I don't know. Yeah. Because one because one uh, result of the last five years of my life is that I am permanently uncertain. Yeah. About all of that, about that capital T objective truth, I'm I'm permanently uncertain, and that comes with me. So I'm completely uncertain about the reconstructed frame through which I'm looking at the world now, which looks like you know, a, a, a one third built death star, uh, yeah. you know, to put a, a, a visual on that, like it's not complete and it's not 
reliable and it's not anything that I would evangelize or have any interest in trying to persuade anyone of. Right. Like there's nothing about the, the, the view of the world that I have now that I would, that I would evangelize to anybody. And mostly because I'm, I'm not certain about it. And I think I will, I will go on uncertain for the rest of my life. And I actually think that's a great thing. I think that's what propels you into the con the, the the perpetual pursuit of small t truth i mean that's just the only thing i can if we're gonna use the word like truth i can't put a, ta- a capital t yeah i know what you mean but what's interesting yeah. is that i don't think that's the enemy of objective truth objective capital t truth i don't think it is right and i don't think and my christian friends who would bristle at that language i think might want to just rethink it because uncertainty is not the enemy of objective reality or objective truth if anything or it's certainly not the enemy of faith if anything it is the the prerequisite of faith right and the perpetual prerequisite of faith it's the problem in my opinion with what happens with people who are lulled into objective reality to never never again examine it for the rest of their lives right and get into weird seasons of their life where they don't realize that they're that they're using language dead language like latin to describe realities that have just gone unobserved and uncritiqued for many, many years because yeah. they're part of a system of belief that they have now yielded their, their critical thought to. Um, which is to say that um, I think it's almost required, you know, you know the, the, one of the most interesting seasons of the church's history is the Reformation. Yeah. One of the cries that came from that was semper reformanda, like always reforming. We need to even Martin Luther didn't imagine it was a thing to be done once, but a thing that we should perpetually be tearing it down and rebuilding it all the time. Yeah. That the church should be always reforming and never be lulled into a perpetual cycle of just just um, reaffirming things that are going unexamined. There's a reason yeah. why you recite the Apostles' Creed every week. It's not just because you go, because between the from the time you last... Um, said it, you don't, you no longer believe it, which is true. So you say it in hopes of believing it, but you also say it as a way of reexamining it. Yeah. And those who wrote it and framed it knew that, and they went through a a, a, a crucible of a process coming up with it, and all of the um, catech- catechisms and confessions that have become important to the church went through, you know, the crucible in order to come out as something that was tried and tested and and affirmed and reaffirmed as true, that comes from the repeated confession of those things. Right. And if over time things do not ring to be true, they're pruned and they're changed and they're um, now they're held against objective uh, objective truths in, right. the, in the opinions of those who are confessing them. But in my opinion, uncertainty is is again the, pre, the the perpetual prerequisite of faith not the enemy of faith. Yeah. And so um and what I have always kind of thought about my pulling up of the roots of belief or the perpetual examining of the roots of belief or the belief itself or faith or whatever you want to say. Yeah. The way I've always felt about it is if the thi- if if my previously held beliefs wind up being true and I hope to God that they are, that would be so much easier. I'm 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 suspicious that they're not. Yeah. But if they were, if they do end up being true, then that means they are objectively true now for me, even though I am, could not be, I mean, I right. pulled my root up from them is in as far as it's in my power to do so. Right. And, and curiously, I, it might be completely out of my power to do that. Yeah. Um, no more can I 
put myself into Jesus' hand, can I pluck myself from it if yeah. my previously held beliefs are true? Yeah. Um, if the end of Romans 8 is true, not height nor depth nor all this laundry list of things can can detach me or take me from God's yeah. love, um, not even my dogged kicking and screaming season of unbelief could really do that if it's real, if it's true. Yeah. And so I've always, and I would encourage anybody who's going through a season of... of, of is that uh, what you feel like this is, well, is a season? A, who knows? Yeah. Who, who knows, man? But the point is, anyone's going through it, if the only reason that you will not give yourself to it fully and chase it all the way to its root, pull the root up completely, really, if you're being, if, if you are being fearfully hesitant to really pull the roots all the way up to really examine them yeah. into a season of deconstruction, here's the comfort I might give you, ironically, is if you're worried that going there, you might never come back. Well, yeah. If, if you have to, if you're not, if you're not going there to the extent that you're afraid that you may never come back, you're not really going Yeah. and it might not really ultimately benefit you to have done so. Right. The, the beliefs that you are calling into question, if they're real, are strong enough to endure that. Right. Like the, what, what do people say? God can take it. Right. God's strong yeah. enough to to be more than sure. you know up for your seasons of disbelief. Yeah. Um he you're not going to make him unreal if he is by your little doubts. Yeah. And he thinks it's cute and he's fine with it. Go ahead and do it. Yeah. But also, what does Jesus say? All of those whom you've given me, all of those I will bring into glory. Not one of those will escape my hand. Nothing can pluck them from my hand. Like the, the, you know, it's like th there's, there's a real surety of salvation that if you believe in, and this is why the language of goodbye for now is what it is. So either you're not real or I'm not chosen or I am yeah. not chosen yeah. and I may never know, but my heart is broken as I say goodbye for now. That's the whole point. Yeah. But the point being, it's like, if it's real, then it's real. And so I should feel no fear in doubting it down to the studs, right. down to the roots. Cause if it's real, then even my intense doubt will not pluck me from its hand. If it's not real, that's some shit that I want to know about. Yeah. And I don't want to spend another minute believing that I'm that that it is real and that I am living in that security. Yeah. And I want to know what the fuck's going on. Well, the, pro the, the you see what I mean? I Either do, way, I do, totally, you yeah. have to you have to I have to find out. I, I, <laughs> I, I never wanted to know more than I want to know right now. Exactly. <laughs> no, I totally get all that, but the problem again is the uncertainty and mm. you're saying you'll never know. No. And so it's like but uh, it's, but what's, but what, what do I mean do? by that is like yeah, so how how exactly. how then do we now live? So, so exactly. So <laughs> you know? if it does wind up being true, I would need to live th then then the things that I always believed about it would have to come into play 100%. I'm off the PR team. I'm yeah. not going to get 80% there and the other 20% be, oh, isn't that just like the Lord? You know, I'm going to need, I'm literally the dead body in the grave with the heart of stone needing to be dug out, needing my yeah. heart of stone to be replaced with a heart of flesh, to use the language of the Bible. Yeah. There's no role to use Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. There is no role in it that I can now play. Yeah. I am dead. And if I am, if there is life, and if there is a God who is the author of it or the reauthor of it, a reauthor of reauthorizing, re you know, yeah. of life, it, it's going to have to be done to me all the way because I've seen behind the curtain now. I speak the language well. Yeah. Um, 
And if it's and it, and if it's if it turns out to be real, it's got to come all the way. It's got to dig all the way six feet, pull me all the way out, and breathe that life back into me. Because I'm telling you, it's like what about Bob? You fake it for, and I'm not saying I've I've faked it, but I'm yeah. saying if you spend any time faking something, you'll be the hardest person to convince that it's really happening. Yeah, and I'm just not persuaded of it. Yeah, and and so it would have to be something pretty remarkably persuasive and perpetually persuasive for me to come around yeah. to be brought back around because like, and, and again, because I'm perpetually uncertain, um, it would have to find me and stay with me and persuade me forever. And I think that's the only real, that's the only thing worth giving your life up for. That's the only yeah. real thing. If it's anything less than that, if it's a thing that I can become certain of and then no longer need, and no longer have to have faith in. Yeah. Like it's a thing you'd have to be perpetually plugged into the energy of without which you wither on the vine. Yeah. If you unplug yourself from with your own infused as opposed to imputed certainty. Yeah. If my certainty is ever like internal and infused, well then I'm dead on the vine. But if it's plugged into a source that gives me perpetual life, and if it's it's either that or it's nothing. Yeah. Right. It's either that or it's not a thing. Yeah. It's either that well, or a thing or a thing not worth worshiping. And, and it's so, like, it's where like, does, so my pal Dave Bazan, this is what he said. And I love this. I love how I, I'm not going to say unintentionally because Dave does nothing unintentionally, unintentionally either because he's because the way his mind works. But um, in the trailer for the documentary being made about him right now, he said this thing where somebody asked him, what's a good reason to believe in God? And his answer was so perfectly honest and so perfectly biblical and yet so perfectly simple. And what he said was, if you do, and here's what he meant. If someone comes to you and they say, here's the story, here's how it works, here's the whole thing, here's the economy of it, here's the, yeah. here, here it is, here's God, here's Jesus, and here's the four spiritual laws, and everyone's fallen short, and God made a way, and just blah, blah, blah. And somebody lays the whole thing out for you, and they say, what do you think about that? And you look at it and you say, yeah, that sounds right. That rings true to me. Like based on everything I'm bringing to it and based on my, all the things and like it, that rings true. And I say yes to that. And if you hear that story and you believe it, you'd be a fool. You'd be a fool not to put your faith in it. But if that same thing happens, someone says, here's what it is. Here's how it works. Here's the story. And here's, then they lay it out before you and you hear the whole thing and you say, yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I doesn't, that doesn't square. That doesn't square with my experience and my intuition and my, and just my instinct, which some people might say is, is, or is not the spirit or whatever. Right. Um, if you hear the whole thing, you say, nah, I don't think so. That doesn't sound right to me. That just doesn't square with me. Then you'd be a fool to believe it. His answer being, what's a good reason to believe in God? If you do, what's a good reason not to, if you don't, that squares a hundred percent with the language of the Bible. Yeah. Um, but what I guess, and maybe it's just like and I like this that insane um, desire to uh, know something mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. literally, uh, and and that's what that's what keeps me constantly uncertain. Yes, is because I, I have to be convinced. That's right. You know, and so see, but that's the thing is. Faith requires that you're never tr- completely convinced. I, yeah, I know, and that's what's so that's why, frustrating. That, that's why faith literally becomes the perpetual lifeline, the parachute. The, 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 so the upside-down parachute that takes you straight up, right? It's are the you thing. saying um, it doesn't matter what you believe, whatever's true for you is true? It sounds like that's kind of 
Maybe. I don't know. I know. And that's because where it's like, thing. what do you if, do? If there's not one thing that is worth everyone's worship and objectively true, then what's the alternative? The alternative is what, what do you, what rings true for you? Yeah. And here's the thing. Even if there is an objectively capital T true thing that's happening, the access to it is still, and the call to those who say there is only faith by the hearing of the word and only, you know, yeah. like you preach so that you can hear and there's yeah. only faith by the hearing of the word. And, but even the faith is not of yourself, but a gift that's Ephesians two, eight, nine, and nothing you can't yeah. boast in it because it's nothing you can do. Like it's a gift given to you. Um, and it's by grace through, fa- it's by, 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 uh, by grace through faith. Right. Yeah. Is that, isn't that what it is? And, um, and so if all that's true, you still ask the same question. Here's a story. Does that sound true? I mean, that, that, yeah. is, that, is, that is the call of the preacher, to say the good news out loud and then to say, do you believe it? To call yeah. for, for belief. Do you believe it or don't you? And some would say, well, the ones that, are, that say they do, there's been a work. The Spirit has come and, and taken out their heart of stone and given them a heart of flesh, and otherwise they could not respond. Right. But now they have the heart of, of flesh, and so they do respond, and there's a, a, a work being done before the response it's the grace before the faith. Now that there is grace, right. the faith is now yep. the fruit that comes from that grace and they respond. And now they come forward and they say, yes, that does ring true to me. That I, I do believe that. And others, maybe there is no grace and therefore there is no faith and therefore there is no response. Yeah. The point still is, ultimately the, the question is still, here's the story, do you believe it? Yeah. Right? That's what I love about that response. Because beyond that, you're, you're only responsible to act out of your, what did, what did uh, Jonathan Edwards said that you're always a slave to your greatest desire. Yeah. And with a heart of stone, your greatest desire is sin. With a heart of flesh, your heart is, your greatest desire is the spirit and righteousness, right? So you're either a slave to righteousness or, or a slave to sin. Yeah. And so you have to, so you're compelled to answer that question a particular way. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm, I keep dancing around just saying, so what do you believe? <laughs> where, where are you now after, oh, no, no, after this I, no, album? I, I feel like I've more know. than said it. Like I'm not persuaded. Yeah. No, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm not, you know, and I, I don't want to, you said it in a way that it's like, careful, do you, do you, it's almost like you're saying it's true and I'm just not one of the group. Oh no. How, how, or, no, yeah, no, that's, that's exactly you know what I mean. No, the language on the album is, is specifically and intentionally abstract on that because yeah. I don't know which it is. I mean, those lines are not cryptic. Um, so either you're not real or I'm not chosen. Um, maybe I'll never know. Either way, my heart's broken. Yeah. That's not cryptic. Yeah. I'm literally saying, I don't know which it is. I may never know which it is. Yeah. But it's one of those two. It's one of those two. Either you're not real or I'm not chosen. It's one of those two. So there's no possibility that you are chosen. Um, and that it is real. You know what? If you had cut David off midway through the Psalms, it would be an easy case to make that he wasn't chosen either. Yeah. Um, and so I don't, I have no idea how long the story is. Yeah. I have no idea where I am. I don't know what act of the story I'm in right now. Yeah. And as I've said before, I would love for it to all wind up being true. You know how much easier that would be for I know, me? Because I've spent 25 years studying it. Yeah, and, and it's exactly. One of the, and like, like I've I heard know. also Bazan say, it's one of the few, it's true of me too. It's one of the few things I'm actually, a, if, I'm, if I'm an expert in something, if there's something I've spent more than 10,000 10, 10, yeah. hours studying, 
it's Christian spirituality. I would love for it to wind up being true. I'm just not persuaded that it is. It just doesn't ring true to me. Yeah. I mean, I think once you go through a season, or I, once I went through a season of complete detachment from it and, and being detached from the conclusion bias that it has to be true or is even probably true, and it was just could be as true as anything else could be true, and I went back to it like an alien coming to Earth and never, never having heard of it, just observing reality, I just don't see how it has to be or must be or even it's probably true and it kind of, I don't need it to, it turns out it doesn't need to be true for anything to work or yeah. for to make any sense to me about the way things work. And yeah. now do I still have things that go in my question mark box? Yes. I have the question mark box where things go that I just don't know how to square because they're like, yeah. wow, that's weird. But when I hear people observe circumstances where they might say, well, look, isn't that just like the Lord? Right. And they, because they say, but look, like, look at this thing that happened today where this thing, it looks, it's designed. It yeah. speaks to a designer. It's orchestrated in such a way. You cannot, what other explanation is there than, and I'll tell you the whole story. Here's this thing happened, and then, that's, and then this person showed up, and they said this, and that led to that. Yeah. And now this happened, and then and then somebody gave me this, and then look at this story. Isn't that just like the Lord? It, look at how it's orchestrated and designed that way. What do you say to that? What's your answer to that? And what I would say is, you know what? You could be right. You might be right. Yeah. But maybe, maybe the most likely answer is the one that doesn't require a miracle. Maybe the most likely answer is the one that's the plainest and the simplest and most yeah. obvious. And so here would be just, and it's not the answer. It's not even necessarily my answer. It's just an answer. Yeah. Right? So what you're saying in this way, it's all orchestrated and designed. It could be true. Here's another possibility. Here's another option that maybe we're only talking about it and you're only remarking about it because it's the one moment out of a hundred billion possible moments just today that things fell into a sequence right. yeah. that seems orchestrated and designed. Yeah. Maybe the thing that we're not remarking about is the other 99.99% of the day today where things occurred in the most random sequence that spoke to no orchestration or design right. and happened in a totally random sequence. Maybe shit just happens like that sometimes. Yeah. Maybe statistically things are occasionally going to happen in a sequence. Um, it's like a broken clock is right, is right twice a day. I'd rather stake my life. I'd rather not stake my life on that two seconds of the day when the second hand hits that moment where that clock's right. Yeah. It happens to be right. I'd rather not stake my life and my security for my whole salvation and my whole eternity on the possibility on, on saying that broken clock, look at it. It's right. Look at that broken, look at that broken clock or look at that clock. Yeah. It's right. Look at that. Isn't yeah. that crazy? I'm like, maybe, but you know what we're not talking about are how many other seconds of this whole day other than those two seconds of the last 24 hours where things have not happened in a way that right. looks orchestrated or designed or sequenced in a meaningful way. Maybe I'm looking at the rest of the hundred billion other chances for that all day or all yeah. month. How often does that happen where you're like, look at that, look at the Lord moving, look at how that happened. And I'm like, maybe so, but maybe statistically things are going to, maybe you drop the Plinko ball and occasionally it falls all the way to the left edge. Maybe that's not evidence of any meaning. It's just statistically likely that's going to happen every so often. But yeah. and I'm not even trying to persuade you of that. It's kind of persuasive on its own. But, but um, the, the, it's, the, <laughs> the, the, the system, though, is designed to, if you don't 
believe well there's a, there's an explanation for that you know uh-huh. so it's like a, it's like a that's self-reinforcing right. system it's, where that's right. you it's a can't, conclusion bias yeah and it's an echo chamber a little bit yeah and i'm cool with that if that's where somebody lands yeah what i'm saying is I like would, you said I, in like you said in a uh, stop listening i think it's like oh well in in if you don't listen anymore then we'll know then we'll just we'll know we're right you just exactly uh, right. You, you just never yeah, that's part right of the group, that's you right know? and and i'm cool with anybody landing wherever they want yeah i'm just saying once I detached from my conclusion bias, I just realized that, oh, all those, I'm not even, you know, all those things I can look back and say, isn't that just like the Lord? Like, well, or, you know, like, even in my businesses that I run, and even in the majority of the rest of my life, you plan for, and you base conclusions on not the vast minority of circumstances and time and behaviors, but the majority. You plan for the majority, and you make choices based on the majority. Yeah. And the majority of time, shit's happening in a pretty random yeah. and pretty sad way. So, and But occasionally you can find meaning in it because of the sequence of things happen. But And, and some yeah. people base their whole lives and everything and everything, you know, on those few, on that broken clock being right twice yeah. a day. I'm just not, I stopped doing it and suddenly realized, wait a second. Nothing, I think, nothing's that different. I know, and I'm so much happier, and I'm, everything makes so much more sense. Yeah. Um, and maybe the the clock is right, and maybe it's not broken and only right twice a day. Maybe it is right. I'm just, again, not persuaded. Everything you've been saying, just so you know, like, like I, I'm, I'm in line with, like, yeah. I'm, I'm tracking with you on this stuff. And when you're in this place where you don't know anymore. You know, you don't know. You and just you never don't really know. knew, but now you know right. that you don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now you're willing to admit that you That's don't right. know. Yeah. Um, Even and especially when you're living a life of faith, you don't know. Yeah. That's the point. Your your answer to that, though, just made me realize, though, how uncomfortable even I am with my own uncertainty. Yeah. You That's know? right. It's just and, and it's that's kind of not just my problem, or not just the problem of someone going through deconstruction. Yeah. It's everyone's problem. No one realizes it or wants to talk about it or has ways that they are they've lulled, they've kind of lulled themselves into of just not dealing with it. Yeah. But like, nah, that's not a good way to live. Like, you shouldn't be fearful of the of the object of your own objective reality. You should be constantly calling it into question. Yeah. You know, you should be perpetually uncertain. Because otherwise you don't really know what you know anymore. And you and it maybe it's been a long time since you really thought about what do you really believe. And that's how you get lulled into seasons of doubt because you just stopped examining it in real time yeah uncertainty helps you to continue doing that yeah right and if you can't deconstruct it in real time if you're not pulling it all apart and reconstructing it every day then you're not truly believing anything and so like yeah you know you you then you're then that, that's that's what people talk about when you talk about religious structures and dead religious structures that's unchecked um certainty yeah about structures of dogma like that's how it happens yeah i mean there's a reason why a lot of christians live like that and because well, because they're fearful to, to detach from yeah and dig it up and like the, the the a lot of the christian heroes are the ones who are not afraid to do that or lived so recklessly that they did do it people like rich mullins i mean he tore that shit down and rebuilt it every day yeah you know you just have to get good at that you have to get comfortable with examining it and deconstructing it and reconstructing it in real time. In my opinion, that may be. That's what all the guys who all my friends' heroes are doing, guys like Richard Rohr and people like Rob Bell and people who are like yeah. risky and people who nobody seems to trust and people who don't know what to do. With, that's what they're doing when you look at it. They yeah. are 
D and reconstructing in real time. They are permanently uncertain. And those are the only folks, in my opinion, who have anything really trustworthy to say about it. Because whatever they're saying, they're deconstructing and reconstructing in real time. Yeah. And they would at any point say, you know, I'm not even, I'm, I don't know, I'm not certain about it. I can tell you right now that that's what rings true to me. Yeah. And maybe I'm depending on the spirit. Maybe I'm depending on my own, my intuition. Maybe I'm depending on my own critical thought. But one way or the other, I am not lazy at least. I am actively engaged in it in real time. And I'm staking yeah. my life on it in real time every minute. As opposed to, yeah, boy, I thought a lot about that was in my, when I was in my 20s. And i um, pretty sure that all that, that, when I last checked, it's been 20 good years, that was all pretty sound. And a lot of <laughs> really smart people thought through that over the years. Yeah. So I'm, you're living in a pretty dead but well-constructed structure. That's what most people's spiritual lives are. Yeah. They're like... The, the, they're their stated beliefs, not their actual beliefs. They're not their, oh, their, yeah. they're their practical totally. beliefs, not their actual beliefs. Yeah. You know, like, uh, or, 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 um, and so it's like they've, they've constructed like a, and they, they tinker like a Harley on this grid, this spiritual grid that they are saying is what they believe. But really, it's mostly goes unchecked for many years and, yeah. um, unexamined. Yeah. And if any, and if you throw a rock into it, it'll shatter like a window pane. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a lot easier to build that platform low to the ground and re D and reconstruct it in real time than to get it 50 feet high and have the whole thing fall. Well, sometimes right? so often, sometimes, you know, a rock gets thrown in that, and, and it, it does just shatter everything and something you go through an experience, something happens and suddenly everything's up for grabs. Okay. And, uh, you know, so bringing it back to your album, like, d- Sometimes I feel like I'm not even control. I'm not even control of of what I know, and I'll just wake up one morning. It's a very biblical idea. Well, I'll just wake up one morning. I'll be like, it'll be like, shit. Is this what? Is this is this where I'm going now? You Mm -hmm. know, like I don't even want to go this way. Exactly. But this is where it's where it's going. So with this album, do you? Sometimes you have to ask yourself, why is it that I don't want to go there? What is that instinct that's that's bridling me and keeping me from being willing to go there? Yeah. Sometimes you have to do battle with that so that you can go there to find out what's real. Because whatever's on the other side of that doubt is what's real. Yeah. So either find out that it's not there or find out that it is there, but find out. Yeah. Well, so this album, Hmm. um, had you just been over years more and more like, you know, all these experiences and the, you know, the stuff Mm. you talk about and your divorce and all these things that just bring you to a place where, I I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, uh, where did this album come from? Like, I, I know you didn't just wake up one morning and go, you know what? I, I feel totally differently today. Obviously, it was a period yep. of time. Yep. And There's a super easy way to answer it, and it's not going to be very satisfying. And that is something I have am fond of saying and say all the time, and that is my job as an artist is to look at the world and describe it. Yeah. To look at the world, tell people what I see. Yeah. That's what I've always done. Songs, you know, off my first record came from that yeah. pursuit and that model and that that grid and that way by which that, that, I mean that, and and the songs on this one came through the same way. And this is what came out. And so I don't, I feel like I'm just looking at the world and describing it. That's how this record came about. Just like any other. I meant, um, why did you, um, make this record? You know, like I'm saying, like, cause I, I imagine you've probably been living, um, this is how you felt for a long time. You know, what made you decide I need to, I need to put this down on because an when album. I look at the world, it was eclipsing everything else. I mean, mm. it's the only thing I could. You also have to write what you know, you yeah. know, and you can only write what you know. And this is all. This has been my whole life. Has been the the destruction and the 
you know, like uh, of all of this. And it's been one of the most significant parts of my identity for so long that you get obsessed with, you spend 25 or 30 years building something and you have 18 months to rebuild it. Yeah. And so there's nothing more important to me than this. There's nothing more preoccupying for me than the subject matter on this new record. It's the only thing that I've thought about for a half a decade are these things. So what else could I possibly, I can't see past any of this. So when I'm looking at the world and trying to describe it, I can't see past any of this to describe the world. Yeah. So this is the only thing I can, this is the only thing I could make a record about. And if anything, I've been anxious to, to do it and get it done so that I can make, I mean, I might turn around, I'm, my, I don't know what's going to happen, but I mean, my weird, my kind of, in, my intuition right now is that I might punch another record out in the next few months. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I'm going to turn around really fast and make another because I've been so bottlenecked behind all of this. I can't see past it. The tallest fires have to come first. And now that I've gotten this out, now I can start to see past. And there's so many other things that I want to make records about, but I've not been able to. Things I want to make statements about that I've not been able to. Things that I want to write about that I've not been able to. Now I think I'm finally free to do that. If it's been like a bottleneck for you, you know, why did it take four years? Like, I mean, why now? One of the reasons that it took so long was, again, if the job is to look at the world and describe it, two of the things in my life that were the biggest identity markers for me, the biggest, the two biggest elements of that grid um, were destroyed. And I can't describe the world to you if I don't know who I am as I look at it, if I don't know where I'm standing, if I don't know where I am in relation to any of it. Yeah. I, I realized that that's why this stuff's been become so important to me is because I had to rebuild the grid through which I was looking at the world and making sense of it before I could do my job, which is to describe it for you. Yeah. So it took me rebuilding some semblance of a grid through which to look before I could possibly start describing it again. Yeah. And that was the reason for that for a few years, I wasn't sure about it. I would even make music again because my grid was destroyed because two of the things that made up 98 and a half percent of the grid through which I looked at the world were the two things that the two divorces that I had gone through. Yeah. And so I had no grid. I didn't know who I was. I had no identity. Yeah. Like the two most important things to my identity were gone and I didn't know who I was. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know how I saw the world. I didn't know anything. And so before you can, so you have to, you have to gather a little real estate upon which to put your feet and stand up again in order to then open your eyes and look at the world and begin describing it. I didn't realize I had never gone, had to go through that in order to make, do my job before. Yeah. There was always the presumption of the grid that I had and the identity of, you know, and the, the, how my, my identity markers make up the grid through which I'm looking at the world. And there was just the normal, um, seasons and cycles of creative output for me this one included a complete reconstruction of the grid through which i was looking at the world something that i spent you know arguably my whole 40 years of life assembling previous and i had not not 18 months to rebuild in order to get back to my job yeah this time around so i did a lot more in the off season this time than i typically <laughs> do between records yeah you know so that's one of the reasons why it took the time it took yeah. And all that said, it couldn't have come out a minute sooner. Yeah. And I was also, I felt like I was carrying around, you know, a 38 and a half month old baby. Yeah. Like I was, it was way over, it was way past term. Like I, I was, I was so anxious to get it out because I felt like 
I've made my living for 20 plus years expressing myself professionally. I'm a professional autobiographer. And I felt like for the last five years, it was extremely outdated intel. Yeah. Like, so if you were only looking at the statements that I had made on albums in order to get some idea of who I was, you had no, you had no chance of knowing anything about me looking at what was out there. I, it was time for me. I was anxious to get, to go on the public record about some things. Right. I, I was, I, I've just gotten used to, and in, um, saying like occasionally expressing myself and catching everyone up on who I am and where I, and right. where I am. And not, I've never gone through a season where as much changed between two records as these. Right. And that's, and, and, and in, in direct proportion with that amount of change was my desire to go on the public record about it. Yeah. So I was losing my mind with urgency to get this record out. And yet I had so little time to do it because I was so busy reassembling my grid and just doing other work. I'm just, I'm a busy guy, you know? Are you, have you backed off some of that other work now? Are you back to more of a a, a music focus? I don't ever want to play music full time again. I I just find that I do my most satisfied, I'm the most satisfied and do my best work when I'm doing it part time, when I'm doing it along with other things, let's say. And all my work is music related. Um, I've got a lot of entrepreneurial work that I do. I have a handful of businesses that I run. Um, I have just, I do like six things part-time. I do nothing full-time. Um, and I don't ever want any one thing to occupy my full-time attention yeah. again. Um, so now, will I continue putting records out um, every few years? Yes. Will I wait five years again between records? Probably never again. I mean, I'll, mm. I'll, I'll, I want to get back on a cycle where it's every few years. Yeah. But having said that, um, I just can't tour more than I'm touring. I mean, I have my right. kids every other weekend. I can only play shows every other weekend. No one's yeah. playing a show on a Wednesday, really. So it's like, you know, Thursday to Monday every other week. I can only play, let's say, th- you know, uh, six to 10 shows a month, which is what I'm doing. And I'm doing it every month. And I have been since pretty much most of this year. And I'll do it perpetually forever now. Yeah. But I can't do more than that. Um have so, you been on those shows? Have you been strictly? Well, this is an interesting question too. And now, when you go out to tour, how, how are you going to play mm-hmm. these songs mixed with your old mm-hmm. catalog? You know? Yeah. I well, I've had about a year's practice, and I'm really happy with where I've landed in terms of how I rationalize it. Yeah. Basically, like, not more than two songs into the night, I give a disclaimer, and I explain to people that how being a professional autobiographer is tricky business because you wind up running the real risk, the very probable risk if you're doing your job right and honestly of writing songs over many years that you eventually for sure no longer agree with or relate to. Right. And I will say to people, I'm going to play a lot of songs tonight, some very old, some very new. And the performance of any song, any song, including the new ones is not an endorsement of their content. Hmm. Um, I am yeah. not the man who wrote many of these songs or the boy in many, in many occasions. I'm not the person who wrote most of these songs. Um, but I will, and, and at my best, what I am doing is cover another, covering another man's material. Yeah. Um, because even though I may not, but I'm willing to do it because even though I might not be the man who wrote or relate to the man who wrote some of the old songs, I trust him that when he stood where he stood, knowing what he knew, trying to do his job, which is to describe the world for us, I think he did the best job that he could. Yeah. Therefore, I trust him and I will cover his material. 
but but rest assured that that's what I'm doing. And that's what really any artist is doing. I doubt that Brian Adams has a deep emotional connection to a song about standing at his high, high school locker flirting <laughs> with a you know a, right. a 15-year-old girl yeah. going to the drive-in or whatever. Does he still sing those songs? Yes. Is he the man who wrote them? No. Yeah. I mean, in a real sense, he's not. Yeah. But does he trust and, you know, does he trust the man who wrote them? Did the man who wrote them do the, write them honestly at the time? Yes. It was a real yeah. expression of emotion. And that's the same for me. And Well, it's just that the, the so content, I, what, like your songs tend to have dealt with over the history of... Uh, I've been writing songs for 25 years. Yeah. But I mean, they're 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 not just about um, an old girlfriend that you maybe don't have right. anymore. You know, they've kind of dealt with things that again people tend to stake their life on. You know. Yes, but my my relation to my opinion of my very particular belief around those ideas, yeah. which are all object uh, subjective things. Yeah. Um, the things themselves may not be in some people's opinion, but one man's perspective on them is. Yeah. You know. Because anyone who still believes 100% of what they believed two, five, 10, 20 years ago is not a healthy person. Right. Um, that means you're not coming into new, any new information. You're not in any way growing. You're not in any way maturing or changing at least your posture of how you, how those beliefs live in your body and how you express them to people. Um, if, you know, so for me, um, you know, yeah, that's true like it is for anybody. But what I, but I try to what I try to say to people is like this is this should be true of you too. Yeah. Of you also. You know, like like if you still believe a hundred percent of what you believed twenty years ago, I don't think that's healthy either. Yeah. Um and you know, I think, you know, you need to be always always reforming, right? Always yeah. changing, always learning more, always growing. Um, um if your your faith is only growing if the inverse of your faith is also growing, which is your doubt and your questioning, if you're not providing, if you're not holding and providing and expanding more space for faith, which the Bible encourages you to do, that means you're not learning more about, let's say, to use a biblical language, the depths of your own sin. Yeah. If you're not learning more and more and more about how much you need grace, then you're not providing the opportunity for grace to grow and your faith, therefore, to grow. Right. This is purely biblical language. Um, therefore, therefore, you you should not 20 years on still believe exactly 100% of what you believe 20 years ago. Not yeah. about yourself, not about the object of your faith if you have faith, not about any of that stuff. So, but what I will say to people is, what I'm not gonna do and what is not my job to do is to, is to tell you which songs are which. Right. <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you which songs I, but if I can make that disclaimer and say, um, I will cover another man's material. I will cover my younger, my younger self's material. Yeah. Then you know what? That just frees me up to play whatever songs. And I get to curate an evening and put in, I mean, I, pl I play Easter eggs right before I play wedding dress in most sets nowadays. Mm. There yeah. couldn't be a, a more ironic juxtaposition of songs yeah. in those two. And then a song later I play Goodbye For Now. At the end of the night, it's not supposed to make sense. You know, this is what I said to people, like, if if you get to the end of the night and you think to yourself of any of one of my one of my concerts or whatever and you get and you think to yourself what a hypocrite like what well, he's totally contradicting himself and how could he yes yes to that 100% your what you, like your conclusion will be 100% correct i will contradict myself i will be a hypocrite and so are you and so will you and that's called being a human being yeah there is no escaping that but at least i can do it in an intentional way and i can say by the end of the night 
I will contradict myself, but if you squint your eyes at all the songs and the whole hour and a half we spent together, you will have some sense of who I am, where I've been, what I care about, what I'm made of. Yeah. Um, and who I really truly am. Because I come from all those things. Yeah. Those are all parts of my past and they're important to me and they're worth singing about because I do think they were honest snapshots and documents of who I am or was or believe or believed, but they're all part of me. Yeah. And I cannot deny, I cannot deny them. So it's like, I, so all I can do is own all those things yeah. and curate them in such a way and sequence them in such a way that gives you some sense of who I am, where I've been. Um, and so, and I say it every single night and that gets me off the hook for the rest of the night. So I say, <laughs> all right, now I can do anything and we, yeah. we know now we can just say, oh, we'll relax and I'll just play whatever songs. And well, I mean, I, I feel like this album is, uh, it's definitely one of, if not your best, Albums uh, to me. And, I feel like I feel uh, like the job description. I hit the bullseye closer than I've ever hit before on this one. In terms of really honestly, vulnerably it, d- describing the world p- to people, I think I I think for me, comparing it to every how I feel about all the rest of the work I've done, I don't think I've ever come close this close ever before to making a record that you can listen to and actually know me. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's it, never been true before. I've worked really hard for that not to be true, in fact. Hmm. And I and I can't keep it from being true on this record. And so I think I've done something on this record better than I've ever done it before. I'm not saying that makes it a great piece of art. I'm just saying in terms of how I measure and in terms of what my my um uh metric is, yeah. To measure did I do a good job or not? I think I did a better job than I usually do. And I feel good about that. It is definitely the most, uh, I would say, emotionally impactful. Like I said, it's, it really is like a, a gut punch. What, no matter where you, no matter what you think or where you, whatever you bring to it. I wanted to ask you: Do you feel? Um, obviously, you have regrets. We all have regrets. Oh but my god! Yeah. <laughs> do you? Uh, if you could do things differently, you know, would you, or do you feel like? right now you are who you are supposed to be well who i'm supposed to be is i mean th- that speaks to a determinism that i don't identify with anymore yeah like who i'm supposed to be like who i who i was made to be supposed to be who was inevitable for me to become i don't really know about all that i think there's a lot of potential paths all of which can be good yeah um what i will tell you it's a tricky question to answer um i know it is <laughs> but but here's what, here's what, here's here's a way that i can answer it and how i'll choose to answer it the years that I spent learning what I've learned about myself, learning about what might have led to or might have been the cause of some of the choices that I did make that I do regret were so revel- were so revelatory to me and I'm so grateful to be the man that I am now versus the man who made some of those. There's, there's a real sense in which, of course, I'm still the man who did the worst things I've ever done and everyone yeah. is is the person who who made their worst choices. But there's also a real sense in which you're no longer that person and you don't even remotely relate to that person. Um, I feel that way as well. There's really two sides like that. Yeah. Um, if I had to go back, if my only choice was to go back blissfully ignorant and to not have learned without the knowledge that I've gained having gone through the intense failures that I have gone through. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would wish to, if I had to go back and be the man I was before, I don't know that it would be worth. I don't know that I'd be willing to go back to that, to being Batman. Yeah. I I, I, I know exactly what you mean. And that's a heavy statement for me to make Yeah, because I, because of what I was, would have given, would still give 
was willing to give to go back. Yeah. What I would not give is what I wouldn't do is go back to being the man that I was before. Yeah. Um, because of how much, and this isn't about my spirituality. This is about self-knowledge and it's about being aware of who I am and where my blind spots are. And, and, um, I, I prefer the man that I am now. And, um, I think I'm in a lot healthier and much better place, you know, and I, um, so that said, um, you know, I, you know, if we'd have to get real specific with what the rules were of my departure back into <laughs> yeah. those, uh, those early It moments. is one of those kind of trick questions, but it's always, uh, to me, I feel like, uh, part of my constant uh, mm-hmm. um, not knowing is also not knowing how to deal with regret and right. how to deal with well, here's the those thing. kind of things. If, if anyone ever asked themselves that question, would you go back? Yeah. Well, if, if you put me back in that moment, knowing no more than I knew at the time, I would, I would absolutely make the same Probably mistakes. The same again. Thing. Yeah. I would fuck up in all the same ways. Yeah. So what would be the point? Right. Just what would be the point? In just groundhog dang the rest of my reality. Yeah. If I could go back back to the future style as my current self into my previous circumstances, I I would do that, but you don't get to be your most current self without the crucible of your worst failures. Yeah. You don't get the great insights and you don't get the maturity without the failures. Yeah. That's why failure is the most important thing you're doing all the time it's way more important than your successes you don't even notice your successes that's kind of what i meant is in some ways it's in some ways despite the regrets it's worth it you know worth it is strong language yeah i don't know that anything will ever be worth the pain that i've inflicted on people who i so deeply love and the destruction that i have sown the seeds of all around me i don't think anything would be worth that yeah it would be an extremely arrogant statement to say that my growth as a human being was worth what what was done to a lot of people no absolutely not um but if the question is if i went back would i have to be doomed to make the same mistakes because i wouldn't have the maturity and health and self-revelation that i have as a result of those of of those mistakes i would not go back um i wish to continue on the path i'm on now in terms of my own self-knowledge and health um and and being on a path of at least making different mistakes than those, I will never make those mistakes again. Yeah, I, I will. Uh, I would never go back to a life where I did not have healthy structures in place around me, and healthy people who really truly knew me, and all the things I've learned. I would not unlearn those things to be doomed to make those same mistakes again. Yeah, and that's one version of that question, yeah. right? And even my having gone through it and all the great shit that I now know about myself or what fuck ever is for sure not worth what I've put other people through. Yeah. So even that, no, I would not say. But if things being what they are, um, what I'm not going to do is not learn and not, not get healthy and not mature and not grow. Um, I've, that has been my whole life in the last half a decade and it's what the entire Fingers Crossed album is about. Yeah. It's about what do I own? What did I learn? And where am I going? Um, you know, it, that's what the record is. Yeah. Um, and, and, um, and I wouldn't, I just, I can't go back. Yeah. So much of the record 
was my so desperately wanting to and realizing over time that I couldn't, it's not possible. Yeah. So, um, it's a fair question, but it's an impossible question to answer. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's true, but, uh, I appreciate you trying to answer it anyway. Th- thanks for talking to me, man. Oh, always. Thanks for coming over. What a conversation, huh? I mean, shit. <laughs> That's about all I've got to say to that. It it got pretty real there, uh, even towards the end. It, uh, man, I don't know that that conversation hit me in the feels, and the whole album, the whole album is just devastating to me in a good way. I, <laughs> I keep talking about how depressing it is, but it's it's needed. It's 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 soul work that I'm doing here, and that Derek is doing anyway. Fingers crossed. Check it out. Spotify, Apple, iTunes, wherever you get music. You can even go to Derek Webb's website and order it from him. Get a vinyl copy if you're a super audio nerd. But uh, I'm sure he would love you to do that. But thanks for listening, guys. Much appreciated. Thanks, Derek, for being on the show. Uh, I've got some cool stuff happening. I am going to get back into this weekly rhythm, so stick around. Stay subscribed. Speaking of which, if you are not subscribed, you can go to thegentlymad.com and subscribe there. Everything else related to the show is there. And if you want to do me a huge favor, you can go into iTunes and leave me a rating and review. I would greatly appreciate that. It, it helps other people find the show, and it means a lot to me. Well, that is it, guys. I hope you have a great week, and I'll see you next time. I'm sort of just an old guy with a big tongue. That's I'm just a big old tongue old man. That's all that is. Um, that's sort of how many words am I at?